Can you feel it? Can you feel the music returning? Feels good. Karen Lovely is in the Artichoke Music Cafe with me today. She has not been doing a whole lot of music in the past year, but she has been very busy with her other work as an advocate and first responder for domestic violence. We'll hear about both that and her return to music. And as important as the music is to all of us, her work with victims of domestic violence is crucial. She's still got the voice and the attitude, however, and we've missed both. She's got gigs lined up and is working on a new album, but let's let's let Karen Lovely do the talking. She's good at that. She's good at all of it. We, we have been both bull- ladies and gentlemen. We have been bullshitting here, <laughs> sitting here talking bullshitting with each other. And sorry you missed it, but uh, it, it, this is this part's better. <laughs> well, one hopes. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, so nice to see you. Good to see you too. It's Tom. been a long time. It has been ages, and it's been a bad time. Um. Well, in some ways, well, yes. In many yeah. ways, yes, bad, yeah. and in some ways, good. I know one thing. Mm-hmm. People miss hearing you. Oh, that's very sweet. It's it's true. Well, I've missed performing. Um, I didn't realize how much. um, I actually was kind of in a sort of depressive state for a really long time just um, because it was all the connection. Yeah. And I usually live like an introvert anyway, so the staying at home part really (laughs) wasn't anything new to me. But the I, I also had this huge extrovert like most musicians side and that is you know when we engage with our audience a band especially that dynamic of performing with other people and that that high that you get from you know when you're playing and you're connecting and you're connecting with the audience and you have this wonderful loop and it's just this magical experience and losing that was um was huge i actually i wasn't even listening to music for a while it was just sort of like uh sort of like when you you know, fall in love with someone and it doesn't work out. You don't want to, you know, want to yeah. lis- listen yeah. to, want to see them, don't want to know about them. And so I kind of um, went into podcasts. I was listening to nothing but podcasts yeah. all the time. And I, yeah. I just kind of turned away um, from music. And I think part of it was, you know, um, we were supposed to, the whole band was supposed to go to France. We had, um, oh, you know, there's and, so many stories like that. Yeah. And that was in March that got canceled because the, pandemic was bad in france first and then things shut down here and then we rescheduled it for october and or july and i knew july wasn't going to work and then it was october and i knew that wasn't going to work and and then for this spring so we've had the same show canceled like four times now so do you think it's going to happen now we're we're hoping by november that's our next uh that's our next date but at this point it's like i'm just I'm just rolling with it. Well, one 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 of the other reasons, other than that, mm-hmm. than I've missed you, um, mm-hmm. that I wanted to have you in here is because you're starting to gig again. Yeah. So. In fact, right here in Artichoke Music was the first show that I did, and that was with Ben Rice. We did a little uh, duo. What was that like? Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Greg Johnson and Sheree were here, yeah. and of course, you know, the Artichoke folks were here, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just wonderful being on stage again with Ben and uh, my friend Wynn came up from California and played keys with us and um, got to got to play a new song that wow. um, that we'd written and it was just so good to be performing again. It yeah. was absolutely wonderful. And after that, then Ben said, "Hey, I'm doing a you know gig at this very uh, you know COVID." 
uh, socially distant venue where you know uh-huh. people are literally in these like little tiny bubbles if they want, uh-huh. and, um, and it's outside, and you know you want to sit in, and so I did, and then we did a gig at uh, Blue Diamond, uh-huh. which was really wonderful, and um, and so now things are warming up, so now I'm going to be doing a, a show with the with uh, Ben and Lisa Mann. Uh-huh. And Dave Mellion, which is oh boy. just going to be, it's blowing my little mind what's that's left gonna, of it. That's going to rock. Yeah, that's with um, at the Alchemy Shed, Crystalline's yeah. uh, project. Who was here in this very, at this very table last week. I love that woman. Yeah. There's one of the greatest pleasures in life I have is listening to her uh, do that Tom Waits song. Oh. You know, uh, Jesus is Coming, I think oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that part where... Everybody goes silent, and she just she just sings this note, and it goes on forever. And it's just, I get goosebumps from that. Wow. It's like it's like when I listen to LaRonda. You know, we uh-huh. used to do these Christmas shows, uh-huh. and uh-huh. there's a, a song that LaRonda did that would just. Yeah, Chris has a very large band. She has a very large band, <laughs> yeah. and I I went a few times to see them at that um, the club in Southeast the bar. I don't know what's happening with that anymore, but it's still open or or what. It used to kind of be like a like a you know neighborhood institution huh. um but but anyway yeah they're the band is a lot of fun and yeah. the songs oh they were great. laurel thirst laurel thirst that's yeah, it yeah, thank you yeah, it's like yeah. so not a bar it's pub right. um yeah <laughs> so but she's awesome are do you have a band yet well i i kind of just work with the same people yeah i yeah. you know i mean my first choice of people to work with would always be ben and lisa mark bowden Dave Mellion, um, Melanie Owens comes down from, from uh-huh. Seattle, Joseph Barton. I love working with Peter Damon whenever I can. Oh, yeah. He's just amazing. He'll be here in a couple of weeks. Oh, he's just yeah. so awesome. And I'm so glad the Waterfront Festival is happening this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I mean, I just, there are musicians I love playing with, you know, and, and I'll do different kinds of shows throughout the year. You know, sometimes I'll do that Prohibition show, and that uh-huh. brings in... Uh-huh different kinds of musicians yeah, all together yeah, for that. Yeah. Um, so what has, has, has there been anything different since you've been out again? Um, yeah, you know, they, I, th- I think people are so much more grateful for music because uh, I, think, uh-huh. I think people miss, there's a real, you know, I mean, as human beings, we're pack animals. We need a connection with others. Yeah. Um, you know, not even being, being able to, I'm a big hugger and not being able to hug people. Tell me about it. I'm Italian. Yeah. And <laughs> right. So I think, um, as, as human beings, we are, we are so, this is dramatically different for all of us psychologically, having to be separate from people, having to be separated uh-huh. from people that we love and care about. And, you know, the, the Portland music community, um, like, like many, you know, many cities all over and many genres of music, the community is really tight. Mm-hmm. You know, blues especially has always been really accessible for yep. the audience. And it's a real, you know, touchy-feely kind of thing. And sure people is. know each other, bring, mm-hmm. bring cookies, to, you know, like all kinds of really awesome things. And so I think um, that was missed so very much. Yeah. And even yeah. if you're doing a live stream, it's not the same as that in-person connection, you know, that you actually feel being there, knowing that something is being created, boom, on the spot. And that's what I like most about live music is because it is an alchemy when you're doing something, there's the the roadmap that you have of what you're going to do. You know, you have charts or you have the song, you know what the words to the lyrics are. And, um, but then there's, there'll be this, you know, 
moment of kismet where one yeah. person will will do something and then everybody else kind of follows on that and it's uh -huh. just creation in the moment uh -huh. Uh -huh. which is wonderful and the audience understands that knows can feel when that's happening yep. but um but i think yeah that that sense of community and belonging and having a family of people you know like if you especially the portland venues when you go out yeah you know a whole lot of people and it's like <coughs> hey 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 and everybody mm -hmm. hugs and yeah. and you're close and you dance so you're doing all this physical stuff too it's right. not just you know passively listening in a mm -hmm. chair it's you know it's like dancing and moving and hugging and you know um all that kind of stuff that's community and family mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and i think for for some people the isolation has been truly truly awful yeah and, and yeah. psychologically debilitating yeah that's, that's absolutely true yeah yeah of course while the rest of us were sitting home and watching television and getting fat <laughs> you have an almost another life uh yeah and i don't think a lot of people know that uh, no, no, I, I kind of keep it on the on the down low. Um, not, I mean, I'm really proud of the work that I'm doing. Yeah. I, uh, domestic violence has always been um, an issue that um, I felt really passionately about, mm -hmm. and I've written songs about it. Yep. Um, I've I've got lived experience. Um, I've known, uh, I've had friends who were murdered by their partners, so it it was something that I really wanted to um, address. And I found that, it you know, I, yes, I can keep writing songs about it, performing and reaching an audience that way, but especially during the um, the former guy's tenancy in the office, I really felt like I had to do something physically mm -hmm. to make a difference in the world because I was just about losing my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he's he's a crazy maker. That guy is a crazy maker. Yeah. And that's what abusers do. And so he he was living that out on the stage. So. There were so many of us that couldn't stand the sound of his voice or the sight of his face. You know, yeah. I still can't. I won't. I won't look at him or listen to him. Um, but I felt like in order to to counter that, I had to actually physically do something and mm -hmm. and act and see. You know, like how you clean a room and you know that you've done, you've made a difference. Right. So I wanted to. You know do what Thomas that. Lauder, that Lauderdale says? There's vi victory in vacuuming. Yeah, there is. Yes. Yeah. I I, I totally. <laughs> I you know I'm a firm believer in that. And yeah. so. Um, Another musician friend of mine told me about uh, a program where they had volunteer domestic violence victim advocates who were uh -huh. first responders. They basically, when the um, police would get called out to um, go to a domestic violence scene, one of these advocates would accompany them. And so um, in a typical situation, you might have police arrive and for the victim, it's you know, could be one of the worst moments of their lives. It might be two o'clock in the morning and you weren't expecting, you know, <coughs> 10 people to be in your house and mm -hmm. you've just gone through this horrific experience and, you know, and, and you have the police. And years ago, police weren't trained. There's still many, many police that aren't trained. Right. But this particular program um, through the city of Hillsborough, they have had a very progressive police force for a really long time doing community outreach. It's a really big deal to them. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's been almost 12 years that they've had this domestic violence um, response team where people go out. And so my friend said, you know, they're always looking for volunteers. Would you like, you know, they're going to start a new training class. And so I went, yeah, I'd love to be part of that. Uh -huh. And so I did the training and then I did um, an advanced training. And um, then I went to basic academy and I got nationally credentialed. Uh -huh. And... Um, I absolutely loved it. I would go, you know, sit at the police station and be on call and arrive on scene. And what we do is basically provide um, 
trauma care mm-hmm. to someone. We are trained in understanding what trauma looks like and how to how to care for someone and going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, we provide information and resources, all like practical things. Um, we have a resource guide that they can take. We know how to talk to them. We ask them what their needs are. <coughs> and we immediately start the um, choice and empowerment process, mm-hmm. even by something, you know, would you, are you okay if we sit here or would you prefer to talk here? Mm-hmm. Something that simple to someone who's had all of their choices taken away from them. Yeah. Their world get very small. Um, so we're really sensitive to that. Um, we can also help explain kind of like what the court process is, what you know bail is. If you've never had any any kind of uh, involvement with the criminal justice system, all of this is really new. And all of a sudden, you're hearing words like you know suspect and respondent and defendant and grand jury and you know uh, bail bond and you know all like all of these words that. Uh, are scary. You don't know what that means. And you hear, um, oh, DHS is coming and people think they're going to take my kids away. Uh-huh. Um, so I was doing that and that that's what we do. We can alleviate those fears and help navigate them out of that abusive system, give them tools that they need to get out of that situation. Uh-huh. Or if they're going to stay with that person, we work with them on safety planning and what to do because there will always be a next time with an abusive person. Um, anyway, they had a part-time job open up, so I started doing that, and it actually saved my life because wow. I watched in March every show that I had for the next year get canceled, and I had yeah. no umbrella. I had no huh. savings, uh, no, uh, like uh, most uh, musicians. Uh, you right. know, we fly by the seat of our pants, right. and it really exposed the vulnerability of music to me. We don't have retirement plans. Right. We don't have, you know, anything to deal with catastrophic illness or, mm-hmm. you know, apart from fundraisers. If you could um, rhyme that, it would be a blues song. <laughs> I'll have to try. But there are some real, um, it's a real failure of our country that we do not recognize the value of art. We recognize the value of sports, yeah. but not the value of art. Of so course. we don't provide for our artists, for mm-hmm. musicians, for painters, sculptors, writers, right. any of the creative I'm glad arts. you said writers, because writers always get left out, God damn it. Not, not for me. <laughs> I mean, writing is huge. You think of the things that we love. What do people love to do? They, they like to read books. They go to films. They watch television. They listen to music. I know. Well, who... Who provides all of that creative? Don't have to tell me. You know, yeah, and so it's just like it's ironic that we will reward people who have physical attributes, yes. like you know, you, you can get right. out in a football field or something or golf, but we we do nothing for the creative arts, and right. so um, COVID really brought that home to me and to almost uh-huh. everyone I know. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay, our entire income has dried up for the year, right. and. Uh, in fact, you know, I was doing my taxes and they're like, you know, how could you possibly have, you know, this huge business loss? And it's like, does the IRS <laughs> not know that we went through COVID? I mean, I can't be the only one that had, you know, a yeah. uh, yeah. catastrophic loss for my business. Right. So having that part-time work really saved me yeah. in a lot of ways. It gave me purpose, first of all, for my life. I, uh-huh. I really felt like, and I still feel this very strongly, the work that I'm doing is really hopeful work. I mm-hmm. get to see lives change. I get to be you know, part yeah. of that process. Yeah. I love the people that I work with. I have tremendous respect for, um, for the department, for the city of Hillsborough and how forward thinking they are. Uh-huh. And, um, and then that kind of went from part-time, they got a full-time opening and um, asked if I was interested. And I'm like, wow. hell yeah. Yeah. And so um, I do that, and it's it's an interesting thing because I don't 
it's not a, a normal office type job. Uh-huh. I mean, I do work, you know, I have a, I work at, you know, I have a desktop, but I also have a laptop. Um, we meet victims at their residence. We might yeah. meet them at the police station, at the family justice center, at the hospital. Yeah. Um, again, we were, during COVID, we were the few people that were actually meeting face to face to help, which is a huge part. You know, if you're already living uh, alone and isolated, having, just having that human connection, yeah. someone listen to you. Yeah. Um, I'll go to court with people. I'll accompany them to court or to law enforcement interviews, stuff like that. And um, I have seen, I have seen people who, because part of my job is risk assessment, mm-hmm. where, um, and notification, I have the um, unfortunate task of having to tell someone, if you stay with this person, they will kill you. Yeah. You know, that you can you can actually predict who's going to do that. And, you know, so people who strangle, for example, um, it's highly gendered crime. Ninety nine percent of the perpetrators are men. Right. And the majority of the victims are women. Uh, although I will, um, uh, you know, I want to preface that by saying a lot of stuff that happens in the LGBTQ community is not reported. Right. So there is domestic violence in the gay community. Sure. They are just even more reluctant to. Right call yeah. for help and yeah. get help yeah. so we don't we don't really have the most accurate stats for that but it is a very very highly gendered crime most most mm-hmm. victims are women mm-hmm. and um, one thing that we have learned and it's the reason that Oregon in 2020 decided to make strangulation a felony offense mm-hmm. is that it is the number one predictor for um, lethality lethal yeah. homicide yeah if, if your partner strangles you, you're 800 times more likely to be murdered by that person. Wow. And, um, and strangulation also, if, if you survive that, that one um, strangulation, you could still die days, weeks, months, years later from seizures or strokes, blood clots, you know, this carotid dissection that happens, yeah. there's little bones in your throat. Yeah. Um, injuries that you can't even see externally, but right. there could be a whole lot of damage that's done internally. Um, you know, your brain is deprived of oxygen. So I tend to, um, I've, I've been compiling my own sort of, um, you know, s- statistics for strangulation victims since the year started. And it's, it's shocking. It's shocking how many victims there are. Most, most of the victims I deal with now are strangulation victims. And multiple They've survived multiple strangulations, and um, and I I have worked um, because during during the COVID the worst of COVID, what happened was the community partners that used to do the long term case management mm-hmm. where they would work with the victim you know mm-hmm. through all kinds of things, um, like at the family justice center you could go and you could mm-hmm. talk to, you could bring your kids you could you could talk to a DHS worker about getting a domestic violence grant. Mm-hmm. You could talk to someone from Oregon Law Center, get some free legal help. You could talk to a detective and explain, um, let them know about things that happened before, or more information. So everything was in one building. Uh, all the community partners, um, the, the ones that could help you with housing, into moving into a new place, mm-hmm. or rent assistance, or all kinds of stuff. They were all under one roof, and then COVID happened, and all the community partners like no more in-person response. Oh, jeez! So that left us doing that. Right. And um, we have done amazing things. We had um, one victim that we we assisted was um, brutally assaulted over a period of days in a, a parking lot in a semi, and was she didn't know where she was in Oregon, didn't know how she was going to get home, had nothing, had no, 
you know, no means to get anything. Um, and we were able to get her a flight home. Wow. So she could get back to her family. Yeah. Um, we were able to, you know, we can write letters to landlords, to employers, explain what their rights are as a domestic violence victim. You mm-hmm. know, you won't get kicked out of your house because mm-hmm. someone was screaming and yelling and smashed up and knocked the door off the hinge and yeah. punched holes in the walls. That's mm-hmm. not your fault. You don't get kicked out for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the offender can. So a lot of stuff is practical, you know, how to break a lease, how to get someone out. Mm-hmm. We do, um, we assist with restraining orders, mm-hmm. knowing when it's good to get a restraining order and when it, when it might kill you. You know, because a yeah. piece of paper works yeah. 50% of the time, not 100%. Yeah. yeah. So it's really rewarding work, and I absolutely love it. I work with some of the most dedicated, passionate, understanding, you know, committed people that you could possibly imagine. And isn't it's there wonderful. A, isn't there an emotional toll that it takes on you, though? Yeah, there's a thing called... Um, well, vicarious trauma, yeah. um, which is a big part of the job where you, it's, in fact, this, this happens a lot with um, law enforcement where they get burnt out and get really cynical. Yeah. So I actually uh, teach a, a part of the training that I do because I'm now um, teaching, yeah. co-teaching with my coworker. Um, I do uh, a workshop on self-care yeah. and recognizing when you're getting burnt out. Mm-hmm. And when you might be suffering from vicarious trauma, mm-hmm. um, because you you can't you can't be in that world without that world touching you, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, it takes yeah. a toll on you. Oh, well, I know. I used to live with an ER nurse. Oh, so yeah, you know. I, I know. And yeah. Ben Rice will tell you because his girlfriend's the ER nurse. Really? And like what she went through with with COVID. Right. And bless her heart, you know, <clears throat> not only was she an ER nurse, but. Um, when the vaccines came out, she volunteered to go out there and give vaccines to people. Wow. Um, OHS, OHSU nurses did that. I mean, it's really, yeah, yeah. I can't say enough about the, the medical profession and what they've been doing. Um, but, you know, rocks, man, I freaking love her. What she did was amazing. Huh. Did the pandemic increase or decrease the number of incidents, do you think? Um, so... Globally, there was a 50% increase, wow. like huge. In some places, 80%. Wow. What we've seen is that because of the isolation, people aren't, aren't getting to the normal channels of reporting. Um, for example, the Family Justice Center was a place you could just walk in, right? You could just walk in and say, I need help. Um, and people knew that it was there. It was next to Nike. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, that was one thing. Um, but you can't call 911 if you're trapped in a house with your right. abuser. You right. can't use the phone. Right. Yeah. Sometimes their yeah. phones have been taken away from them right. or broken. Yeah. So what we're finding is that they've been stuck inside for months. And, and the, the thing that's the scariest isn't that it's risen, but that the violence has become yeah. far greater, like far more vicious. Oh, where um, the assaults are much worse. We see more people mm. going to the hospital, and the strangulations are what I've seen like, kind of go through the roof. Mm. Um, mm, 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 mm. Where that definitely seems to have taken a toll. The stress of of being in a you know ha- having income changed maybe, and then be- just being trapped inside with your abuser, not being able to see family or friends or go to work. You know, work might have been your place where you could have some you know have eight yeah, hours of safety, yeah, for yeah. example. So. Does does all that inform your music, or is does music serve as a refuge? Both. Yeah. Both. Um, yeah. It has definitely informed my music and my writing, and the um, you know has has made me feel far more committed to storytelling. Uh huh. 
um, which is, is something I was doing anyway, but yeah. I, I really like to do that. I really like storytelling, uh-huh. and it's a really good way of, of getting a message to people in a way that engages them and uh-huh. makes them think about things. Yeah. You know, um, and so there's no question about that. But there's also, I, I have, you know, once I, you know, there's sort of, doing this show here at Artichoke Music with Ben and I started performing yeah. and I started listening to music and now, you know, like I'll, I'll put on a playlist of In Excess or something and I just, huh. I just want to like rock out. Really? Yeah, I will wow. get in my car and just turn up the music and or I'll dance around the house or you yeah, and I have a bunch Le- of playlists. You man. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I have eclectic taste so yeah. um, I listen to all kinds of stuff but I want to listen to like really upbeat uh-huh. uh, and then I also listen to, um, you know, I've also sort of expanded my global music appreciation for different uh-huh. genres, you know, uh-huh. Celtic music. and Really? Yeah, there's a guy, um, in fact, one of my favorite people on Twitter, he's, uh, he's this guy in Ireland, and he takes his cello out in the field. <laughs> he's got this little cottage um, with these, you know, soft rolling hills behind uh-huh. him, and he uh-huh. lives on a lock or something, or river. Uh-huh. And so... They've got all the seasonal changes, and he'll go out there spring, summer, winter, fall huh. with his dog, and he plays this beautiful, you know, music, uh-huh. and he just sits out there, and he's got this lovely Irish accent, and <laughs> hey, no, we're going to play for you know, and and it is just so soothing, and I will just, you know, like he got me through a lot of this. I would just, yeah. you know, live yeah. for for those times that he released those yeah. pieces kind of out in the open, just yeah. just him and outside of his door, and his dog would wander in and out, but. Yeah. It, the scene was so pastoral and it was so peaceful and it just reminds you that you know there are good things in life i think yeah. that's that's yeah. what we have lost yeah. like during yeah. the, the former guys years and with covid that 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 last year that combination of the two yeah you know was yeah. there were times i felt like oh my god you know i i can't flee the country because i have kids here but i right. i thought if if this goes south, I'm, I'm, you know, am I going to die because I've been outspoken politically? Right. You know, I, uh, right, what right. happens like if, if it goes all the way that they want to go? Right. You know, because they're... Exactly. You know, it's terrifying. And it they're still working on it. Oh, yeah. So They're those, still working on it. They are, very, very much so. Right. And um, so for me, just having that moment of listening to classical music and... You know, hearing this just lovely cello because I love I, strings. No, I understand. You know? I understand um, totally. Uh, and uh, audience, forgive me because I keep saying this on, on almost every podcast, but it's true that uh, doing my radio show has gotten me through. Yeah, I bet. I mean, the podcast does too, mm-hmm. but nothing like putting together two hours of music that you love that inspires mm-hmm. and and makes you shake your ass. Yeah. Matter of fact, I have been saying from time to time on the show that uh, uh, you can still wear a mask and shake your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit harder because it, 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 it gets sweaty under that it mask. Is, it is a little bit. It's not because of the sweat. It's because of a balance thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really think <laughs> yeah. that. I really think that's true. It could be because I can hardly stand up. But anyway. Um, right. Yeah. Well, geez, you know, and that, uh, that that's wonderful work that you do. Yeah, you know? I, I love it. It's, um, you know... I, I see some scary things. I hear some scary stories, but I also get to be part of a team of, of really dedicated people that really want to see this person change from you know this circumstance into another. And I have literally seen 
someone go from the depths of hell yeah. who was was near death yeah and within six weeks was in a new apartment wow. was in therapy was um testifying against her abuser uh-huh. and had a completely new life i wow. mean completely new life and was huh. so was so happy in fact i didn't recognize her when i saw her again wow. i i was i went into her apartment i was like where's you know so-and-so it's like it's me huh. wow it's like look it's me and she was happy and she was smiling and she had changed her hair and she was wow, just like her wow. own person again and Jeez. I've worked with a number of people like that where I get to see yeah. this incredible because um, human beings are resilient and if you tell someone yeah you've gone through this awful stuff but if you if you if you choose to take the steps to get out you'll build strength and resiliency that you never knew you had it's like steel you yeah, know yeah. You get tested, and then you are stronger than you ever were before. Mm. Mm. And and I feel like that ripple effect of each time somebody does that, each time someone you know improves their life and their children, you know, we've we've interrupted that cycle, and future generations would be, be better off. Yeah, Karen, you're goddamn inspiring. Yeah, I just want to get the criminal justice system next because you yes. know people always want to say. Why does that person stay? And they never say, why can't that guy just stop doing it? Right. Why can't that person right. Right. stop, you yeah. know? Yeah. And honestly, like, we're a revolving door. You can, you can, you can almost kill someone, try to yeah. kill them, yeah. and get out of jail, like, four days later. Right. That sucks, yeah. man. It does. It does. That really does. That yeah. should not happen. No. They commit crimes. Like, you, if a stranger did that to you, if a stranger came up and strangled you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And beat the crap out of you, that would be a serious case, right? You know, you would expect that person to get some time, right? If it's someone in your family, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse, family stuff is handled totally differently. It's like it's not yeah. it's not handled like the crime that it is. And one of the one of the things that I like to always do is because um, I work as a systems based advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say, you know, if I refer to you as a victim, I'm not saying that's how I see you. That's how the criminal justice sees you. And I want you to understand you are the victim of a crime. The person who did this to you committed a crime. Yeah. And kind of like re, re, you know, redirect the way you think about something. This Mm -hmm. isn't poor so-and-so had a rough childhood or, oh, you know, because abusers always have an external locus of control. It's always somebody else's fault. Right. Have a mean boss. You like me. You know, they're like big freaking babies. Right. But um, they really are. They're entitled brats. Right. And... um, They're throwing shit. Yeah. And they just feel entitled to do that. They feel entitled. Like, I'm entitled to have power and control over you. Right. You know? And... and, um, and I just, I'm, so one thing, I, I, if I could take them all and put them on an island somewhere and just let them do Lord of the Flies, <laughs> yes. I'd be, you know, that would be, <laughs> they do a lot of damage. They do a lot of damage physically and psychologically, yeah. you know, there's, yeah. there's um, actually the way that our brains work, you know, uh-huh. trauma changes the way our brains work. Uh-huh. And it's one of the reasons why it's hard for victims to get out because they, they actually, their brains are similar to what prisoners of war go through yeah. you know long-term yeah. prisoners of war that right. you know where you get a trauma bond and all that there's, Stockholm yeah, there's all this neuroscience that's right. actually going on that that people aren't aware of so yeah. through this work i've learned a lot apparently of, yeah i mean <laughs> i've learned like the you know how important it is to trust your instincts uh-huh. and 
and understand too that um, we might think we know what we're doing, whatever. But right. there's all this neuroscience that's going on that we're completely unaware of that you know um, mandates the kind of things that we might do. You know, especially in a trauma situation. Yeah. yeah. So I've learned a lot, and I've learned how to take care of myself. Yeah. I've learned that it's okay to have boundaries. Um, I've learned how to say, you know, let me think about that and get back to you. Um, uh-huh. You know, or uh-huh. um, you know, if, if if you feel uncomfortable com- com- saying no flat out, you can say, "Let me think about that and get back to you by right. yourself sometime." But right. um, I've learned the importance of having boundaries, and mm-hmm. that it's okay to have those, and it's okay to love yourself as much as you love everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so I've uh, it's really changed my life and made me a profoundly better human being. How's it changed the music? I think it's made me a much better musician. Have you? Much really? better. I'm much more connected. And again, I would I would say the music that I listen to that I really like to listen to are the the writers who do stories. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Ben Ben Rice has turned me on to lots of great music. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, you know, we listen to um, like some some country stuff that's really you know uh-huh. country storytellers. Yeah. You know, he's turned yeah. me on to and yeah. uh, folk artists. You know, right. And well, um, I'm yeah. all about the story now. So I'm looking right. at my songwriting now is um, more uh, more focused on what's the story? You know, how mm-hmm. can I tell that story? You mm-hmm. know, yeah, yeah, you know, have yeah. a beginning and an ending and an arc. You know, all mm-hmm. of those kinds of things that that, that goes into well, it. Well, country and blues are pretty much the same thing. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there there's a lot. I mean, all music has overlap, but you know, yeah. I think um, like. Uh, uh, from Punjabi music, I'll listen to that, uh-huh. and then I'll I'll incorporate some of what I hear there vocally uh-huh. into what I'm doing. Uh-huh. And what's great working with people, like guitarists like Ben or with Mark Bowden, is if if I do something vocally that's you know from a uh-huh. different genre or style, yeah. Yeah. they jump right on that guitar mm-hmm. wise, and mm-hmm. you know we can do these really crazy kinds of riffs that are really. Yeah beautiful and like bam you know creation yeah. in the moment kind of it's really not a whole lot difference between hank williams and lightning hopkins yeah it really isn't yeah. you know and uh, the, be- the best songs are are, are stories you know <clears throat> yeah even even if it's uh like i said you know i i my playlists are kind of all over the map but yeah, yeah. um th- like one of my favorite songs is fancy bobby gentry oh oh yeah now that's a story. Yeah. And that well, she was she was she was a storyteller. She was a storyteller, yeah. but that song to me like you listen to that song and and it's an 11 to me because the uh-huh. the the music so perfectly matches the vibe of the story. There's yeah. that one line where she she's talking about a, a roach going uh-huh. across the shoe and uh-huh. he, and the and it's go you know in the, right. in, the in the music you you hear like this uh I don't know, it was just so cool the way that that music wrapped around and same uh-huh. with like, you know, third uh-huh. of June, you know, yeah. ballad of you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, And and the way she the way she sings the line, Billy Joe McAllister mm-hmm. jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Billy it, Joe McAllister it just kills you. jumped off the Tallahatchie. I know, but it's so it's it's so this combination of so matter of fact and make you cry. And the strings, yeah, the strings yeah, yeah, that come yeah, in, but yeah. but the way, like, and again, in that song, you know, y'all remember to wipe your feet, you yeah, know, the, it's yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the kind of talking, talking singing, so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's very natural, all the, the right. way that, you know, right. and, and really good writing is like that, it's like a, it's like uh-huh. a conversation, yeah. like you're talking, yeah, yeah. and it's, um, it's just so cool, so I'm 
fascinated by that. That's yeah. all I'm listening to now is, wow. I'm, is like the, the, uh-huh. the greatest song writers yeah. and storytellers. Well, throw, throw Lightning Hopkins in there. Oh, yeah. In the middle of that. Yeah. And it'll go like, oh, man, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it, it, like drone music, that's another thing, you yeah. know, that, that sort of like that... Um, that that reaches you in a, uh-huh. on, a, on a primal uh-huh. level, yeah, and yeah, you can yeah. you can just ride that. That's like right. riding that wave. And right. you know when you think about how blues music evolved and the the physicality of blues sure. music, sure. And you know how do you if someone's doing really hard work, right? You know how do you how do you f- inspire that? And and music and that kind of repetitive action. If you're listening to uh-huh. something and you know you don't you don't notice the time going by. You don't notice the the, you know how hard it is what what you're, what you're yeah. doing it can yeah. take your yeah. mind away a little bit and, yeah um, uh, the trumpet player Lester Bowie said if you really want to know how to play the trump or trumpet or any instrument get in James Brown's brass section mm-hmm. and play the same riff for 20 minutes straight yeah you will understand <laughs> yeah. how to play music yeah it's hypnotic <laughs> But you know, think think too. Like one of the things that I like, um, one of the reasons I'm drawn to like music of the the blues music of the 20s and 30s. Uh-huh. Um, those songs, when I think about the l- layer of meaning, you know, those oh, yeah. lyrics, like yeah. you know, the, so we're talking about you know, you write a story, you tell a story, you're, right. you're saying something lyrically, and how amazing it is to tell a story in a way you have to. Those black performers were telling a story right. that white audiences would appreciate on one level right. black audiences would appreciate yeah. on a different level right. and a number of them were gay bi or oh, lesbian and would then have well, all, a, so, all, so it's like meta 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 and, no, all, and you know, all, all the great female black yeah. blues singers were were gay yeah and yeah. Or, or bi and you mostly gay and you <laughs> yeah there's the, the beards the beards yeah always well i mean you know, know big church. big mama thornton and and, oh, I know. and bessie all those people oh, yeah. you know I mean, everybody we revere. Billy Holiday, yeah. Well, a, lot, a lot were by, a lot of them had to have a man. Well, yeah. You know? But beard, yes, exactly. Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that, so that sort of meta language where, you know, what, and I think that's like in a lot of the gay music is there, uh-huh. there's that sort of double entendre. So when you're writing right. double, triple, quadruple entendre, right. you know, how do you get one word have multiple meanings? So the one person listens like, oh, it, you know. Oh, you know, Harry, <laughs> and then you know somebody else is like, oh, no, that's that, that's, that's not what that means, <laughs> you know. And 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 again, like another layer of that would be the drug culture. Oh, sure. You know, so sure. that your one word could could talk about, you know, you, you're a viper. Yeah, yeah, and Everybody. it's like. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, that yeah. Um, the vernacular and yeah, yeah, and how yeah. the the right. power of the word, how they use yeah. those yeah, words. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I I just absolutely <laughs> love that. You know, like there's um, you know, pick poor Robin clean. You know, yes. is I hustling and it's uh, but it's also about you know being poor in the depression, not having something to eat. So there's right. like the literal. You right, know, pick right. picking the bird and trying to find something to eat, and then there's also you know picking your you know, your, your target. But uh, yeah, it's really um, yeah, Gishi Wiley, she's, she's yeah. amazing. Yeah. But yeah, so I love that sort of you uh-huh. know, um, uh-huh. and I think some of the greatest songwriters knew how to how to do that, how to. You know, I mean, you can listen to a song and think about it. Whatever mood you're in, you can hear a yeah, song and it yeah. completely right completely change you. Some of it wasn't, some of it, but some of it wasn't double entendre. Some of it was single entendre. 
I mean, some of those um, um, uh, Big Mama Thornton tunes and, and um, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Roosevelt Sykes. Mm-hmm. Roosevelt Sykes was, the, I mean, he, he, if, if he, if, 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 a, if a hip-hop guy picked up Roosevelt Sykes songs today and did them with, with, with a hip-hop beat, they would be just as dirty. Mm-hmm. Roosevelt Sykes, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, people love the dirty music. Yes. Love the dirty music. You know? um, yeah, it's that's true. Oh, and there, there's there's a place for that, you know. There and you know, like I again, like I have a dirty playlist that's just like, yeah. really nasty stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but written by all all kinds of people. You yeah. Know? Well, I think one is, uh, you know. Um, Yes, she was your girlfriend. Yes, she was your girlfriend. Yes, she was your girlfriend. She wasn't last night. And, you know, it's a, a woman singing the song. So it's like, um, but I, I, like, I love the, the twist on that. And everything that that says, everything that that line yeah. says, you know, that's yeah. like a woman in her own power. And, yeah. you know, yeah. um, it talks a lot about relationship dynamics and, yeah. and just, yeah, it's one of the songs I, I really like. So, um, and then some of them are just downright dirty. You know. yeah. Well, th- yeah, that's that's there's the, you know, yeah. How, one, how, how, how to songs? Really, that one's clever mm-hmm. when you just. But there's some just. Roosevelt Sykes was was really good at those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they, like I said, it's all persimmon about the, pie yeah. is one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot of euphemisms. My baby's got an ice cream freezer. You know, yeah. that, that that's another one. Roosevelt Sykes. I never got to see him, unfortunately. Aww. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, geez, this has been wonderful, Karen. It By has. the way, what about this use of the name Karen? Oh, that was that was that kind of a funny you off? thing. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Sort of... I, my, one of one of one of my exes who lives here in town is a Karen, and she's pissed off. Well, she's pissed off anyway. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of funny because, you know, Karen was the name that, I mean, I always hated my name, and yeah. it, was, it was a very 50s name, and I always wanted a really cool name, like, you know, I named my daughter Allegra because I love I, I yeah. that, and I yeah. always hated, my name was never, you could never abbreviate it, you couldn't, right. I didn't have any nicknames, I never had a nickname <laughs> my entire life, Jeez. <laughs> and um, I always wanted a nickname, and so, the, um, yeah, so it was already, I already felt... You know, kind of like uh, I was. Um, you know, it was a it was a bad name. wasn't It wasn't a good name. It wasn't one of the better names. It and wasn't a cool name. Along. And then that happened. Yeah. And sort of, you know. <laughs> but I was. <laughs> <laughs> it is just sort of, you know. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, I guess we could talk to um, Chad about how he feels about his name yes. being abused <laughs> and used. But, but you know, ultimately, I also feel that the, you know the the bigger picture is how it was being used and yes. what those people are right, and right. and you know did it really hurt me no no I don't really care no. I really don't I I really right. don't care it's like you know it's I know annoying, who I, I know who I am and yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's vexing but it's better than, I mean look at how names have been abused oh sure you know look at sure. look at poor Greg Johnson yeah you know or yeah. Ben Rice or you know or anyone a, named you know, Adolf or, or John, you know, or yeah, I mean, I don't know too many people with that, but you know, there's all, all kinds of, uh, you know, Barb, well, I don't know, are there people named Barbie anymore? Maybe not. I don't think so. But, um, 
somebody but, somebody you know, there there are always those offensive stereotypes and yeah. you know you can't get through grade school without kids making fun of your name and oh, right. it was way worse when i was in high school and um because my last name is lovely so i've had a lot more oh, shit yeah. done with that oh, um, yeah. especially growing up you know at like bullies they, are always looking for something easy that yes, made us yes. a real easy target but know? at least they knew how to pronounce your name yeah unlike me d'anthony no, D'Antoni. I'm kidding. All I right. know. Okay, okay. That's what I'm saying. They called <laughs> but, you D'Antoni, oh, but, right? But, but, oh, but it doesn't bother me. <laughs> have, you heard, have you heard Liza Minnelli's song on how to say her name? No. It's uh, Liza, Liza with a Z, not an S, and how people call her Lisa. And um, this, so there's a whole song written about it um, on how to say her name. And she, it's really cool because she'll, so it's, it's uh, lies with C, not Ness, and she gets faster and faster and faster, and then it's M I double N E L double L I, and I can't even do it, but but she does this whole thing where it's like you know, it's a whole thing about her name and yeah. and how, um, you know how, and she just does, it, she was she was an awesome performer, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's a funny, funny spin on names and how Italian names can't get pronounced. I yeah. always hoped that um, when the, the producer, famous movie producer, Phil D'Antoni, came on the scene, mm-hmm. that people would, but, but nah, it didn't. The only thing that helped was there's a, bas- there's a famous NBA basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so then people, uh, people started pronouncing it right. Well, and you know, I'm from East Coast, right? I yeah. Got, I got, so I, yeah, I got yeah. in, uh, I had a lot of a lot of it, 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 like a, in the fringe of an Italian neighborhood, a Puerto Rican neighborhood, a black Italians? neighborhood, Polish. So, oh yeah, it's Toulouse, and yeah. you know. But I would, I would not just say D'Antoni. It would be D'Antoni. Right. Well, right. You know, and uh, yeah. So that's like I think I was watching um, Saturday Night Fever with my daughter, and I said, okay, I want you to just watch this one scene. We don't have to watch the whole movie. Yeah. I want you to just watch. The dinner scene where everybody's yelling, and if you said to them that's something wrong, they would throw sauce at you. Right. But what? You know, like right. everybody, oh, yeah. yeah. And that was um, that was my street. That's part of why I got, right. got to sing the way that I can sing is yeah. because yeah. we yeah. we we didn't have cell phones. We had our voices. So I was the oldest of nine kids. If I wanted to tell my brothers and sisters they had to come home and have dinner, yeah. I, I had to yell so that my voice could reach them two blocks away. I'm sure that when you moved here, you had the same, the same experience I did. It was like people thought you were angry. Well, all, all, you were was, all you were was enthusiastic. <laughs> I know it's kind, of, it's kind of an unusual thing because I've, I've lived in so many different places. Uh, and I've spent the majority of my life now. I mean, I grew up in Boston, which I, yeah, I loved. And yeah, I lived yeah, in Maine. Yeah. And so there, I, I, can, I have an appreciation for how the different states are in New England. Right, right. And also the West Coast, kind of like the difference between California, Oregon, and Washington. You right. know, those subtle distinctions. But it was funny, I, I went um, back east a few years ago, I took my son with me, and he's always been on me about my road rage, like to the point, like I had yes. to actually, he made me temper my road rage because he, he literally said, we were driving one day, and he said, can you pull over here, I'm gonna get out because I, I literally can't handle your, your yelling. And he said, and I don't understand because you never yell any other time. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm not even aware. You don't understand. I grew up in Boston. When I learned how to drive, like, yeah. this is how they drive in Boston. That's right. If you want to make a turn, you would never signal. That lets the other guy know what you're going to do. 
I mean, right. it's like you would never let someone cut in front of you. You would never right. do. It's the opposite of yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of courteous driving. The opposite right. of that. Yeah, yeah. And I said, and it's you know, I spent years driving like that, and then I lived ten years in L.A. fighting, you oh, know, right. seeing right, people right. dragged out of their cars and yes. shot, being shot at yeah, and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. so the car is like a real a real trigger for me. Absolutely. But I realized. I said, you know, um, okay, son. You know, I. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to really do some thinking about this and I'm going to really take a look at, at my road rage. And yeah. so he made me change and, and um, we went back east and I said, okay, so now we're going to drive. We're about to get on, you know, we're about to drive in the city of Boston. And he, he white knuckled that. And at the end of that drive, he was like, you know, I know why they say mass holes now. <laughs> and I now know why you drive the way that you do. And I was like, yeah, we were proud of the fact that we were the worst Absolutely. drivers in the, in the country. Absolutely. You know. See, I came straight out of Baltimore. Oh, yes. Similar thing. And I, I developed a thing where if there was a dispute, I would roll down the window and bark like a dog at the guy. Yeah. And it always worked because it would do one of two things. It would either he would either start laughing, which diffused mm-hmm. it, or he would be enraged, <laughs> just enraged, which was always fun to watch, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's like the, the classic like, one. In, in <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried that one. I might. It's I a good might, one. I might try it's that really one because that's it's, pretty freaking funny. It's actually. a good one. It's very funny. That's really funny. I like that. There's a cab driver in New York. I was driving with a cab driver. A pregnant lady was crossing the street and the light changed and she was like halfway through. She's like nine months pregnant, very pregnant. And the cabbie says, you know, get out of the fucking walkway, lady. I'm going <laughs> to knock you down faster than you got knocked up. And it was just like that. <laughs> just sort of like, you know, encapsulates the East Coast attitude. Like there's 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 nothing sacred, you know. No, Everything is profane. No, and, no, no. But, uh, and then the East the, when the West Coast, you know, like when I first moved to Portland, when I first moved here, I thought these are the most courteous drivers I yes. have ever seen in my life. And yeah. oh my God, it was wonderful. I know, I know. And it's not like that anymore. No, no. They, you know? It, they, they, were, they were sort of courteous. But there was always there was always a level of passive aggressive yeah. aggression there, because that's 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 what that's what people in, that's what Portlanders do. Yes. That is that is the that is the the one yeah. mass trait yep. of people's personalities in Portland, Oregon, is their passive aggressive. I would I would concur with that assessment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now what I do because of my son, you know, I I took his, I, I listen to my kids. I've learned more from my kids uh-huh. than they've ever learned from me. <laughs> um, they've taught me so much. But um, after my son said that, you know. I, I took it to heart. And now, like, uh, if I have to take 26, if I have to go, yeah. you know, onto 405 and that merge to 26, uh-huh. and 26 has got to be one of the worst roads to ever, right. uh, besides the I-5, which yes. I, I've made that trip so many times. Right. I could I could puke. Um, but I will now take, instead of thinking, having a mindset of, oh, I've got to be there fast. Now I'll say, you know what, I'm going to just leave. 15 minutes sooner and I'm going to go the back roads. I'm going to go up. Yeah. I'm going to go up Lovejoy uh-huh. and I'm uh-huh. going to take, you know, Cornell and I'm going to go through the, the trees and I'm going to look at people hiking yes. and I'm going to go by the Audubon <laughs> Society and I'm going to look at green things and I'm just going to listen to music and, you know, so there are times where I just literally like, I don't care if it takes me an hour to get home. I will go 
all through those hills and two yeah. different roads just yeah. because yeah. I I cannot take another minute of, of the highway <laughs> stuff. And it is it's always the, it's always the slow drivers that you just really want. You're just like, why? Uh, right. Wait, can't you just? I can see you. I just, can just. I God. Can you, you, you and the Prius. Come on. You are. <laughs> <laughs> you're acting out <laughs> i know i know it's really it's really hard that's why, like I, it's it every day is like a conscious um de-escalation for me oh god yeah i have to think about it every time I not to car. mention the use of the horn and i never i rarely use my horn oh i rarely rarely it's use my musical that. instrument yeah <laughs> i used to i'll admit it i did it a lot when i was in boston um you know but i think for me one of the things that changed me about driving and road rage, um, and I, I joke about my road rage, but I've seen real. Like oh, when yeah. I lived in LA, oh, sure. I was on the um, the 405 in uh, rush hour traffic, and the car in front of me hit the car in front of him, and that driver got out, yanked the other driver through the open window, oh boy, and started beating the crap out of him right on the freeway, and and then another time, um, you know, I wouldn't let this guy in front of me because. It's like the Boston thing, right? right. Not get in front of me. No. Right. Right. Stay back there. Yeah. I'm, I'm going more than That's the speed right. limit. You stay in your own. You and stay, I'll slow stay down and, and not let you, you know? go by. How about that? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> Beamer driver. But we'll talk about Beamer drivers another time. But anyway, I was like, you're not, not getting in front of me. And so when I got to a red light, this guy was so mad. He got out of his car, oh. started punching my window and spitting on my window. And, and another time I got someone shot at me on the freeway oh, and I just I started having um, panic attacks like where I couldn't drive anymore wow. and it's one of the reasons I, that's that's why I left LA I was yeah, like you know yeah. I I don't want to be in the city and when I go down there to record you know and I'd be driving with my friend Janice and, yeah. the, and that's like her whole driving is the LA driving which yeah, is yeah. beep beep you know get yelling and screaming and beeping and yeah. and I was and you know this kind of you know, bit like herky jerky stuff and it's like oh. I can't take it I just I want to I want to be back you know in my mind I just close my eyes <laughs> and I'm, I'm driving on Cornell like through the through the greens or I'm on skyline or you know there's like I'm just I'm gonna be Birds, green, green trees. There's moss on the side of the road. It's you know 30, 30 mile an hour speed limit. Luckily yeah. for me, most of my life I've looked scary. Well, especially barking. That's, that's well, that even if I wasn't barking. <laughs> that barking is. Uh, when, I, I, when I was a, I've never heard of that. Oh, it's a good one. That's, that's yeah. really, Did other people wonderful. in Baltimore do that? No. That's really good. Uh, but uh, I mean, even when I was a, even when I was a, 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 a long haired hippie. People wouldn't pick me up. When everyone was hitchhiking, I had to have my girlfriend with me. If I had my girlfriend with me, they would pick. They would pick us up. But um, uh, yeah. So, but so, uh, you know, looking scary helps. If you're a guy and you look, look kind of scary, that helps, right? You don't see hitchhikers anymore. No, not at all. But uh, uh, I think back to that, and I think, oh my God, I could have been murdered like eight thousand times. I know. But now I just look old, <laughs> which is fine. Which gives me a pass. You know. <laughs> well, I hope you're not still hitchhiking. No, I'm not on hitch. I mean, when I'm driving. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, Gosh, Tom, we can talk. <laughs> we'll figure out some some ride share for you. Don't don't be out there hitchhiking. Um, hitchhiking. Oh, jeez. Yeah, God. <laughs> but everybody did. Everybody hitchhiked everybody there did. for a while. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I. Well, look, this has been fabulous. This has really been <laughs> fabulous. I could go on for another hour. I know um, you're going to send me a clip of you barking. I gonna, will. You know, like, <laughs> Maybe I should start practicing now. You should. You should. It's really. Row, 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 row. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll do anything for a laugh. God damn it. <laughs> well, it's That's been good. great to see you. I'm so happy that you're singing again. I know oh, you're doing great so work. Oh, good. I know. Yes. I know you're doing great work in, 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 your, in your other work. But, uh, you know, we know you from your singing and, and it, it makes us feel good. It makes me feel. I'm so excited. I'm excited to be at the Waterfront Festival this year. Yeah. Ben and I yeah. are doing an afternoon and evening uh, set. Really? Uh, acoustic set. Yeah. Nice, nice. So excited. Oh, boy. And then to What do about the, some recording? Yes, I'm actually finishing up some of the songs for a new record. In fact, Ben has, has uh, sent me a finished? couple of... Uh, um, I've finished a couple of them, yeah. <laughs> are you ready to... In fact, I'm, I performed one of them here at the Artichoke Music Show. Really? Yeah. Wow. Can you send me an MP3 and let's put it at the end of this? End of, end of this? Oh yeah, you know I don't know how to get the recording from the show. Oh okay. no, I don't mean that. I mean of the of, of the song. Uh, oh, not, uh, that's not ready yet. I haven't recorded it in the studio. Oh, okay, no. all right. No, 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 no. Well, we'll find something else. No, I only I, I don't go in the studio until I have like you know and the yeah. album ready. I yeah. don't do like the one song at a time. Gotcha. gotcha. Just because studio expenses, the way I, I, I right. generally work, I'll do three or four songs in, yeah. in the studio and. Yeah. And get the album. Do you think you go back to LA and record? You're gonna do, or you think you might record no, here? I think I'm gonna record in Portland this time. Okay. Yeah, I'm still not sure because you know, um, yeah. Eric Korn did such a an extraordinary job on my last record, and mm -hmm. he picked. I mean, they such great musicians to work with, and I would love to work with them again. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, he really he did all of the things that I wanted as a you yeah. know as a producer. Like he yeah. understood what kind of vibe I was going for, and he. He found me some of the most amazing musicians, and it was really cool to have Ben down there too on the record. And I wish I could have had Mark Bowden on the record as yeah, well. And, yeah. and I'd also like to get Lisa. So uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking a little bit about doing something in Portland because I uh -huh. d I dearly love the people here. Yeah. Um, it's hard to pin down their schedules though. Yes. Well, previously. Yeah. You know, right. Right. Now now things are different, but but uh, yeah, I'm thinking about that. I'm Good. I want, I'm going to do some more stuff with um like I said more storytelling and Good. more stuff with strings. You know, I really love that kind of vibe. Yeah. 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 And so I love working work, with a fiddle player. Worked for Al Green. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I know. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. And Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, and I'll end it like we always do by saying, that's entertainment. <laughs>
know you spend nine of them scheming how to get my dough. Eight days a week you just sit and complain. Seven years of bad love, that's your name. Six feet under if I stay with you. Five hundred reasons why we are through. Four other women get besides me. Three of them in my family. Long years and we ain't done yet Leaving you is one thing that I won't regret Yeah, ten miles of bad road Since I met you, I ain't been more alone Help me run, should have taken it slow Ten miles of bad Yes, you are bad 